Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Manuel. Well, we speak on mad family Zoom calls when our dad is trying to teach our respective children about the Mary Rose or something. But I don't know when we last had a proper one-on-one session like this. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week we're talking to Dan. I am Dan Snow. I'm Rebecca Snow's big brother. That's mostly what I'm famous for. And to Becca. My name's Rebecca Snow. I live in Canada and I'm a writer and director of uh, documentary films. There's a lot of eccentricity in our family. But the spearhead of that would be Dad. What about and you? And then it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, was a... I was about to say you're getting more and more eccentric in your old age, Dan. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. My kids are being horrible to each other at the moment. I tell them that the greatest regret in my life that I have is how horrible I was to my, my little sister, Beck. It would be interesting to hear what they say. Um, I think I was probably always seen as the one who would just go off and do my own thing. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Dan and Rebecca have a little sister, Catherine, and three half-siblings, including one that no one knew about, not even their dad, Peter Snow, until 1996. We talk about all of that, about jealousy, pride, and what it's like to come from a famous family. But we started by talking about when Dan and Rebecca became proper friends. I almost remember it happening. It was the summer, probably 1996-ish, 1995. But I remember going to a party and having Beck along there as a friend. And because girls are sort of more mature than boys, she was obviously able to kind of come along and hold her own and be sort of dazzling and wonderful to these kind of 16-year-old weird boys that we all were. We did become a bit of a duo on the dance floor. I'm not going to say we're amazing dancers, but maybe we were amazing dancers. And she was a fantastic dancer and is a fantastic dancer and and is really funny and smart and brilliant. (laughs) Particularly after being fueled by alcohol. And it was funny because I'm quite light and flexible. And Dan's obviously just quite big and, uh, you know, was very strong at the time because he was a rower. And all my friends, you could see all my friends just going, wow, this person's super cool. And luckily, thank God I didn't get kind of jealous then because that would have been very bad if I'd suddenly gone, oh, you know, more my friends fancy you now. You know, he'd come and visit me at Newcastle and I'd, and I'd go visit him in Oxford. I mean, we started um, enjoying each other's friends in various ways. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, uh, you know, could have been problematic, but actually. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then we sort of realised that, oh, you know, it's kind of cool having a sibling who you can hang out with as a friend. Because, of course, we're 18 months apart, so we're pretty pretty close in age. And it changed. It was the beginning of a different period of my life and a period in which I'm happy to say she's become, you know, one of my best friends and a person I admire most in the world. So it, it just flicked like a switch. It's funny, isn't it, how sometimes it takes the perspective of eyes outside of 
our families to show us what's really going on. So they, you saw her how they saw her rather than how you'd tried to see her. I guess so. Very embarrassingly, I guess that's true. And I, I sort of ashamed to admit that, that it required sort of um, some sort of fellow Muppets from my rugby team, whatever it was, to actually demonstrate. Like, it's, the only thing I, it's the only thing I ever did learn from those guys, I'll tell you that much. Anyway, and no, but so that's right. That's right. That's what it must have been. And we were out in the pub. This was the beginning of adult life. It was exciting anyway. And, I, and we both were feeling euphoric and excited by that transition, by that moment. So can you remember when Beck arrived? No, I can't remember when Beck arrived, but I remember the dark feelings of, of jealousy that I must have felt towards this little bundle who turned up when I was obviously virtually still breastfeeding. And then my earliest memories, though, were of, of Beck being a, a tiny baby and me thinking, who the heck's this person? <laughs> and were you jealous for long or were you making that up just for fun? Well, I, I think I was jealous for about 15 years, really, because I was horrible to Beck. And, it's, and it's, I, when my kids are being horrible to each other at the moment, I tell them that the, one, the greatest regret in my life that I have is how horrible I was to my, my little sister Beck. You know, I was old for my school year. She was young for hers, so that doesn't help anyway. And I was kind of big, confident, giant boy, and 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 she was kind of the baby of her year. And and I just made her life kind of miserable. I think um, it must have come from jealousy. It must have come from me feeling like I had all my mother's attention. And then Bet came along, and and suddenly somebody else was important. How were you horrible to her? Well, when I was very young, I apparently my mum told me I I tried to drop some scissors on her from a great. <laughs> So that really was proper homicide attempt. But apart from that, no, I wasn't physically, I don't think I was, well, I, kept, I don't think I was physically, like, I didn't beat her up and stuff, but I, I just was mentally kind of quite torturous to her, if that's a word. I, I tortured her. I just, I just, for some reason, thought that it, by reducing her self-esteem, maybe that would help mine, build up mine. And I, to this day, find it extraordinary why I did that. And um, I feel very guilty. Dan also said that he was really mean to you when you were growing up and he regrets it. And he's told you that before. Did, and you didn't say anything about that to me. Either you're really loyal or you just don't remember it being as bad as he says it was. Do you know, it's really funny. He, he, you have apologised to me for that quite a few times, Dan. It's really sweet. And I, so I can see that you're very hurt by yourself having done it. I um, do remember him teasing me a lot. I think the problem is I feel guilty about doing it to my little sister. I think I sort of then did that to her. So I sort of feel like it was, you know, I took it and transferred it. To I'm responsible for a kind of multi-generational trauma. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Pretty much. That's I thought that sentence was going to start making me feel better. I didn't actually realise it made me feel worse. So, yeah. no, so I, no, I don't think you traumatised me or Kate, for that matter, in any particularly life-forming uh, way. Let me put it that way. I'm all right, Dan. I'm okay. So what what's your role in the family? I know you're kind of middle in some contexts and not middle in others. So how does that work? I feel I'm a bit of a weird, because I feel quite a kind of oldest kid, quite loud and opinionated, and I like things my own way. And when I'm with the the last batch of my dad's kids, which is me and my two sisters. But when all the older half-siblings turn up, I, sort of, I kind, of kind of get quite quiet and anonymous. I think I do. Maybe they'd laugh. But I think I've become much quieter because I'm suddenly just, I'm a middle kid. I'm my dad's youngest son. I feel a very different sense comes over me, really. You know how um, kids get labelled, and I'm guilty of doing it with my own boys. Oh, he's the, you know, sensitive, mm. insert, studious, naughty, cheeky, clumsy, whatever. Did you have a label like that in your family? Yeah, it's it would be interesting to hear what they say. I think I was probably always seen as the one who would just go off and do my own thing. 
Um, you know, I was always the one who was moving abroad or doing things like that. Like I would dress kind of strangely sometimes. And um, so I don't know what I don't know what label they'd give me, but uh, probably sort of individualistic. Well, Becca is um, really the most creative of all my siblings. That's up against some quite stiff competition, but she's the most free thinking in that she is the one that's questioned the orthodoxies of where we grew up and where we sort of how we lived more than anybody else you know her fashion her music taste her the fact she went off to off to latin countries and learned how to speak spanish and embraced new worlds and things like that so i think she's sort of the bravest in that way as well culturally what label would you give dan there for oh gosh probably the the thing that comes to mind would be the overachiever because there's always one in the family and Dan definitely was always an overachiever. It didn't have a huge effect on me that everything he did was sort of brilliant. Mm. Maybe it's a testament to the way we were parented. We were sort of really taught to sort of all embrace our differences and, and not worry about competing with each other. That wasn't, it was never an issue for me. So yeah, probably overachiever. <laughs> isn't it sort of a, re- a relief as well if there's an overachiever in every family and it doesn't have to be you? Isn't that quite freeing? Yeah, probably. Maybe that's exactly what it was, yeah. She would describe you as the overachiever. Well, I, it's interesting. I, maybe, I, I, I stru- yeah, well, that gets to the heart of really what we're all doing and, and our sort of how careers plan out and, and the satisfaction you derive from that. But yeah, definitely the lucky break I had getting on the telly kind of thing. Uh, but you worked hard before that. Yeah. I mean, you got in the blue boat and you got first and you did well in your exams and well at yeah, school. I mean, well, I was good at I was good at I was good at some subjects at school. The British education system flattered me. But but I also think we develop a different split. Well, look, I mean, the one thing you learn hitting 40 is my god, everyone's on a journey and there are fast bits and slow bits and if I had to place a bet now as to who in 10 years time would be winning professional awards within their field or receiving a particular praise, it would be Beck. It would be Rebecca, no, absolutely no question at all. Her, the, her projects at the moment are incredible. Does she know how proud you are of her? Do you, t- you say you tell her quite often. No, Do you think she really knows? She probably doesn't because that's the nature of our sibling relationships. But I'll tell her on the pod. Don't worry about it. But um, Yeah, tell her in a minute. I hope she does, yeah. I love sharing her films that she makes with people, with friends and I tell her hopefully feedback on that, so I hope so. And in your trio, so Dan, you and Catherine or baby Kate, and was he out on his own as a boy doing boy things and, you know, learning about the Navy and you girls were doing girl things or is that too simplistic? A little bit. I mean, it depended on the phases of our childhood. You know, Dan, um, I'd say for the first kind of 10, 11, 12 years, we were very much um, a threesome and, and probably Dan, Dan and I more. And then as Dan sort of hit his teenage years, he, uh, unlike a lot of people who hit their teenagers, he went into a sort of very sort of scholarly and academic couple of years to begin with, you know, maybe four or five years. I mean, he was always very academic, but that, and that sort of came naturally to him, but he, he really embraced like the ancient Greek historians and was very into going to hang out with my dad and Delphi and make films with each other about the ancient ruins. <laughs> and my little sister and I were like, maybe not so interested (laughs) um when you described um Rebecca's character you said that she was the most creative and individualistic and you've also said that she questioned the orthodoxies of how you grew up more than anyone else and I wondered what you meant by that Dan well she moved to Canada for starters right I mean although we're all Canadian but she definitely sort of embraced a different way of life and moved to Canada and 
and has been braver than than I think lots of the rest of us creatively. She's written a screenplay. She's taken time out from career to do things that might not bear fruit immediately. Um, she wears lots of crazy shit. I mean, she's she, yeah, she's she's adventurous. Do you, do you think that makes sense that you move to Canada and you wear crazy clothes and all of those things? Do you, does that make sense that you're kind of questioning some orthodoxy? maybe it's funny Uh, yeah possibly and that might all yeah I think it's I think it's true I think there was also one point when it was possible I may not have come back from uh, living in Latin America at one point as well um I kind of found love in the Andes family whatsapp group of the time humming I'll tell you that much planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was back to 1996. I think that's when your half-brother, Matteo, was got in contact. And I know that you already had and were aware of half other half-siblings. But I wondered what what that episode was like and how it kind of or if it did reshuffle the existing family which is quite a kind of complicated structure but it's, you know really happy complicated structure mm. well do you remember when dad told us dan we were at a restaurant in monte carlo <laughs> of all bizarre places yeah we were sailing holiday and we'd gone ashore for a meal and dad played an absolute blinder because he um he said i've got some news it might change your life i hope you're not too upset we all thought oh no he's got cancer he's gonna die the old bugger and then he snuck in that he'd had a little dodgy love child. But then he couldn't be angry because he got you all worried that he was going to die of cancer. Clever. <laughs> so he played, it, he played that one very wisely. Uh, I don't, to be honest, I don't think that had much impact really on, on our lives. Did it, Beck? I, we gained a lovely brother. He was cool. Well, yeah, he's cool. I mean, what was, I think, very reassuring for all of us was that mum was completely relaxed about it. And mum's a pretty relaxed person. But she, you know, she was like, guys, I was like a cheerleader in Toronto at the time when this was all going down. So like, there's nothing to do with me. And dad didn't know that this guy existed. So it was like, it wasn't a hurtful thing for anyone, especially. And so that we could see that that was the case with mum. It, it was that was kind of our lead you know but I do remember going to bed that night on the boat because we were on a, as Dan said we were on a sailing holiday and I was sharing a cabin with my sister, little sister at the time and like I heard her little voice coming across from the from the bunk bed and she was like Beck this kind of thing only happens on neighbours <laughs> so we felt like we were living a soap opera that was the big excitement and can you remember actually meeting him for the first time what was that like did it happen all together it was funny because he came to the airport and I went with dad to pick him up and I said, dad, am I going to know what he looks like? And this guy walked through and it, is, it was like basically a smart 
elegant French dad just walked in. I mean, he is the he is the sibling who looks the most like dad. I mean, a lot of people think Dan looks like dad. Mathieu looks so like dad, don't you think, Dan? Yeah, he looks like a he looks like a handsome French version of snow male. So he's like he's reasonably sized. He's not kind of gangly and weird and Anglo-Saxon. He's just like a little bit smaller and chiselled. He still has bad teeth and huge nose, which is what we have in our family. So. Yeah, you're so sort of well adjusted. Do you think you're like the last man in the UK that would ever go for therapy about any of this? Because you seem to have no axe to grind or no bitterness about any family issue at all. Uh, I've, I, it's always very dangerous. Like I often think to myself, and I've had previous girlfriends, not my wife, but previous girlfriends say to me, um, you're so lacking the need to go to therapy that you must be hiding some unbelievably dark, immeasurably large problem that is going to swell up and destroy you one day. So you should go to therapy. And I'm like, I'm into it. I'll cool. I'll try. I'll go. I mean, I think I, I do. We, I talk a lot with my friends and my cousins, my sisters. So we I have a very, I have a very kind of talking therapy kind of life. When I have problems, we, we all talk. I, I'm very happy to talk about it straight away, really. So I think it's, kind of fashionable for everyone to say all families are completely mad and I, I i mean i think our family's great um i think we have characters in it but we and of course well, we're all characters and we have all of our eccentricities and we have all of our i guess there's tensions between things and ideas and people and stuff but on the whole i think i think our family's pretty cool i don't know what do you think back yeah i think it's um i think it's pretty functional in its madness in a way I mean, there is, yeah, there's a lot of eccentricity in our family. I'd say the spearhead of that would be dad. What about you? And then it's, <laughs> I, was, I was about to say you're getting more and more eccentric in your old age, Dan. I'm, I say that with great affection because dad's amazing and Dan is too. And they're, they're both eccentric in their similar ways. Dan always, I think Dan always fancied himself being quite a lot more like mum, sort of a bit more level-headed and grounded but I think actually the natural way that Dan is going is towards the eccentric dad side of the family <laughs> and I've always been on that side I think so it's you know I'm, I'm like welcoming him into the the fold. You can't talk to siblings like you guys that come from a family with a famous name stuffed full of famous people without sort of wondering whether some of the confidence to be eccentric or to experiment and to be individualistic comes from the comfort of knowing that there's a certain cushioning effect of coming from a family like that. Am I allowed to ask that? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, well, it's a privilege to, to be eccentric and weird and funny and all get on with it. I just think to be experimental sometimes and to feel so free can yeah. be a privilege. No, no, I think, no, I'm sorry. I'm just double checking because I totally agree with you. I think it's a, uh, we can all laugh about being eccentric because, because ultimately we've, we've all had a, such a loving upbringing and, and we're so supportive that I think psychologically we're pretty resilient and quite strong and therefore yeah. we, get, we, we don't uh, react badly to unintended slights or or, or the wrong things being said or, or you, know, un, you know or bits of bad luck that come our way because we have this huge psychological and also material safety net you know so absolutely right um my favorite expression you know everyone's got their favorite bit of cod psychology and this is mine i will share it with you which is a 19th century psychologist went life is best organized as a series of daring adventures from a secure base and i think the snow family is all about daring adventures from a secure base beck went off to the andes fell madly in love and threatened not to come back 
Um, I've travelled around the world, visited war zones. My older sister's a brilliant actor. My younger sister has travelled and been very brave with her charity fundraising choices that she's made. But we've also, we've all made gone on daring adventures, personally, psychologically, physically. But we've all had a secure base. I couldn't agree more with. And that, that privilege of safety and love, which we grew up with, is is the thing that is our foundation. Mm-hmm. I think it comes obviously from our parents on mum's side because we never knew our grandparents on our dad's side. Um, but definitely the sort of parents and grandparents, because um, I, I, like, you mentioned the sort of fame of the Snow fam. I don't think that had an impact. It's more just how our parents, you know, made us feel secure. Your, your dad being like a minor late night news broadcaster, not having like Don Bon Jovi as your dad, you know what I mean? So I don't, I've never thought the fame is particularly... And so, yeah, and, and also social media didn't exist. And the kids didn't know my dad was on news. Now he can give a toss. Oh, no. And we never did famous things as a family. We would like to have done more famous things, frankly. We'd have liked tickets to Wembley and, like, going to gigs. But we never did a single thing like that once growing up. Now, now there is social media. And now you are on the telly. And now, you know, you are history hits down snow. Um, do you, are you aware of the sort of affection in which members of your family and you are kind of held because people love a kind of people love a dynasty and people love a story and people love, in this country particularly they really like having families like yours that do no harm and make interesting things and are slightly glamorous in a particular way and creative are you aware of that sort of affection that extends towards you Be slightly slightly glamorous uh yeah so, well, i mean massively glamorous <laughs> am i aware of that affection i mean i think if you mm. If we're cruising through my Twitter mentions, I have to say I think I'm not aware of that. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Do people like her? Uh, weirdly, most of my kind of professional, liberal, the more intellectual sort of people that you might knock about with and meet on the podcast or professionally aren't particularly interested in that. What is odd is when I do live shows and you get father and sons or father and daughter or three generations of farmers or building contractors or something like that in careers where it's more normal to have a dynasty and you see that they see themselves reflected back a little bit and that is really that's really nice yeah was there any part of moving away to Canada where you felt a little bit away from that in a nice way or was it just because you're half Canadian and Toronto's lovely Rebecca yeah I think I don't think that's any reason why I left but I'd say it was it was definitely something that was quite sort of present with me because I was before I left the UK I was starting out my career and I was working at the BBC and so that you know that there it was hard to get away from and that's when Dan was you know kind of on the rise and obviously dad was dad was pretty almost retired I think at that point so it was it was kind of it was hard to get away from it not that I was trying to escape it but coming to Canada that was actually really nice being able to say well actually my mum is Anne McMillan and everyone was like what that's amazing so it's actually really nice to kind of celebrate mum in that way here because she's you know quite well known in Canada so yes a little bit there was that I moved here 12 years ago and um, wasn't planning on staying here but then met my now husband and had kids and so I'm, I'm here now and it sort of on one hand feels really natural because, you know, we've always as kids, we always came to Canada at least once a year, often twice a year to hang out with our grandparents and stuff. But it's really also kind of a tragedy for me because as much as I love living here and my life is very much here, I'm so far from from my siblings and Dan. And, and that's 
probably sort of the biggest sadness in my life in a way, although, as I say, I love being here, is not to be close to them physically. Um, we're very close. You know, I talk to him a lot. And whenever I come to England, I spend, you know, days at a time staying with him and hanging out. And it's very we always slip into the same old sibling relationship. But it's a sadness I have for sure that I'm far away from them. Um, if you wanted to get really under his skin, how would you tease him? What would be the default button to push? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, let me think about that for a sec. We um, are very much a family that tease each other a lot and laugh at each other a lot. So it's actually quite hard to get under each other's skin because we really um, we sort of always did that. Um, but with Dan, um, my sister and I, you know, I think. I'm wondering if I can even say this. <laughs> I don't want to get under his skin. You know, I so um, want you to say it, don't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. OK, so <laughs> I know a good one, actually. Um, so I think one thing that we do tease him quite a lot is uh, he'll be walking down the street or something. And my sister and I will just joke and be like, oh, is that history's Dan Snow? You know, it's like... <laughs> And it's funny because I left England very much before Dan, the sort of the real sort of rise of Dan, as it were. Like I I left England 12 years ago when he was, you know, he was still he was making some docs, some documentaries for BBC and stuff. Um, But I never really saw I was used to walking down the street and everyone stopping dad in the street. And now I walk down the street and dad can sort of walk past. No one notices that it's Dan that people stop. And that's where my sister and I start teasing him like, oh, is that history's Dan Snow? (laughs) Uh, I'd probably tease her about some of, oh, this is a bit mean because I might be listening, some of her ex-boyfriends were quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's true of us all, isn't it? Yeah, it's true of us all, so there's no problem. But I think if I was, and I think because Beck had this sort of ima- amazing contest going on within her to either escape the kind of domineering, shouty father, older brother, or embrace it. And that played out through her love life. And so you've got some quite strong oscillations there. <laughs> um, I definitely, they are quite domineering and shouty. I mean, not domineering of me, but just sort of generally larger than life people. And yeah, I think probably a lot of people I've dated are definitely not, and, and definitely my husband's not. So I've definitely not married someone like my father or my brother. But what I meant was that Beck hated domineering, shouty men. So she would go out with much quieter men who she would in turn dominate. And then she despised them for not being sufficiently manly enough like the ones she'd grown up with. So like they, unless they got up at 6am with a guidebook to Prague clasped in their hand, determined to see every single site in the city before four in the afternoon, she thought they were total losers. But she also didn't like people who went round with said guidebook in Prague. So she was kind of trapped for a while. <laughs> I think it's partly because I probably was that person who was insisting that we go around Prague with the guidebook. (laughs) And they say about siblings, and this is something I'm really interested in this podcast, that your sibling relationships are kind of a training ground for relationships later on in life. You know, they come before any friendships outside the home, usually, and before any romances and anything like that. And that you learn a lot that you can, if you're lucky and you've learned good things, important to those later life relationships. So what would you say, Dan, that you learned from your relationship with Becca? Well, I don't know what I learned from my relationship with Becca, because it's hard to divide that from my entire first 20 years on this planet, really. Beck was by my side as we explored what it was to be alive, uh, to be who we were, to be kind of Anglo-Canadians. So Beck is central to all of my learnings from that time. It was not like Beck taught me how to, you know, 
like ride a bike or anything. Uh, I, I think well, probably must, there must be a better answer there. I just feel very privileged to have had that strong bond with a sibling. And I, and I definitely have it with a couple of our siblings, you know, where you've got someone, you've got a confidant, you've got someone that you can trust and talk to whatever the situation, you know, and I think it all, this sort of comes back to the idea of how sad it is for me that I don't live nearer Dan in that, you know, I really miss that. And it's something that's very important to me. And it's something that, you know, going through life with certain friendships, there's nothing quite like the sibling relationship, I don't think, where you just have that incredible, well, at least I do with, with Dan, have that incredible sort of trust and friendship. Dan spent a lot of the time, Rebecca, talking about his sort of intense admiration for your work and pride. And he said sweetly that in 10 years' time, he predicts uh, if there was going to be one of you that was known for what they've done in their career, it would probably be you. Oh, Dan. <laughs> Stop. That's very nice of you. Thank you to Rebecca, or should I say Buka, Becca or Beek, and to Dan, or should I say Schmaniel. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Nick Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Next week, Ruby Wax's daughters, Maddie and Marina Bai. They're also comedians and they perform under the name Siblings. They specialise in anarchic, absurd and completely brilliant performances. They talk to me about clown school, their mum's clinical depression and the characters inspired by lockdown. Thank you for listening. And if you want to see some really sweet photos of Dan and Rebecca as babies and teenagers, or find out more about the podcast, head to relativelypodcast.com. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Staying by the fireside. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Staying by the fireside. Now the rain may fall. Your father's calling you. You still feel safe inside, and though your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, this didn't do a lot for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.